All praises to our King Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha the Hamashiach. Welcome to the podcast, the Science of the Covenant podcast. I'd like to welcome all our listeners. And it's a glorious day on this Shabbat. And we would like to say shalom to all our listeners, to the Mishpukah throughout the world, to the four corners, and to the other nations who believe in living their lives by the Torah. We say shalom. We hope you enjoy our podcast weekly. So, do you have your Bibles ready, your notebook, your computer, your tablet? You know what I say. Do you have your Bibles ready as we begin our study? So, Pastor, what are we studying today? Uh, what we're going to be looking at is a uh, continuation of our subject from last Shabbat. Uh, once we have obtained a life of righteousness, one enters into the science of sanctification. So we left off last week with receiving the righteousness of Yeshua, the Messiah. And once we enter into that righteousness, we enter into what we call the science of sanctification. So we'll be dealing with the science of sanctification. So in this particular study uh, in the science of salvation, we want to be able to cover some of the elements of what it means to be sanctified. Let us pray. Eternal Father and loving Son, as we look to you at this time, we ask that you would help us to, to go through the sanctification process, that we may be the children that you would have us to be. And at the end of this discourse, O oh, Heavenly Father, may we be determined to walk in the way that you would have us to go. And that way to the kingdom of Elohim. These blessings we do ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, and for his dear sake, we do pray, amen and amen. Okay, we want to turn to the book of Exodus. <clears throat> and in the book of Exodus, we want to consider the 40th chapter, Exodus 40. And in the 40th chapter of Exodus, we want to consider verse number 11, Exodus 40, 11. It said, and thou shalt anoint the labor and his foot and sanctify it. So here we are told that they were to anoint the labor and its foot and to sanctify it. And as I pointed out, we'll be dealing with the science of sanctification. Here we are told in the first part of this 11th of the 40th chapter of Exodus that the labor was to be anointed as we have appointed out in our discourses that when Elohim anoints something or somebody, this means he has accepted, affirmed, and approved it or him. <clears throat> to anoint from a Hebraic standpoint is to smear with olive oil. And we learn that this smearing of something with olive oil is a type of Yah's pouring out his spirit upon someone or something. It is his spirit that sanctifies and because of his spirit that comes upon us, he sanctifies us to make us as 
the life of Yeshua. So we would also ask the question, just what is involved in the sanctification process? Since we are sanctified at the baptism, let us start there. So usually when we are baptized, that's when the sanctification process kicks in. So we're going to start with the baptism. And I want to turn to uh, in the book of Matthew. And when we turn to the book of Matthew, we want to look at Matthew chapter 3. And here in Matthew, the third chapter, we want to consider a couple of verses there. And that's Matthew chapter 3. And we want to look at verses 16 and 17. It said, And when Yeshua, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the spirit of Elohim descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So here we see that when Yeshua was baptized, that the Holy Spirit came down upon him. So when Yeshua was baptized of John in the waters of Jordan, the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. This descending of the Spirit upon him was his Father anointing him. As we pointed out, the anointing means that the Father accepts, affirms, and approves. Thus, when this is done, sanctification is the result. So let us find out what is involved in sanctification, let us observe this word we call sanctification. There are two basic words for sanctification, which comes from both the Hebraic and the Greco background. We have the Hebrew word kadash, Q-A-D-E-S-H, kadash. And we have the Greek word hagios or hagizah, which is spelled H-A-G-I-A-Z-O, Hagezo, Hagezo. And when we look at Kadash and Hagezo, and they both mean to be separated set or set apart. For what purpose was Yeshua set apart for? And we want to see the separation, why he was set, what he was set apart for. And not only that, we're going to see how he was set apart. So, so we want to turn to the book of Exodus, back to the book of Exodus. And this time in the book of Exodus, we want to look at the 30th chapter, uh, Leviticus chapter 30. And we want to look at verse, start with verse number 21. Okay. Verse number 21. And here in Leviticus chapter 30, and starting with verse 21, it reads as follows. It says, So they wash their hands and their feet, that they do not die. And it shall be a stature forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Okay, so in the labor they were to wash. And he said, he made a statue that says you do this throughout their generations. Okay, now 
when we read the following verse, number 22, it says, Moreover, Jehovah spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices, pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of the cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and hen, and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of apothecary. It shall be an holy anointing oil. So what we see in these verses is that the labor that contained the water was to be anointed, and the anointing uh, that was to take place had some spices that was mixed with olive oil. So here we are told that the place where Aaron and uh, his sons wash was to be anointed with a certain holy ointment compounded by the art of apothecary, which was the science of blending spices with olive oil. When this oil of anointing was put upon the labor, it meant not only that the vessel that was anointed was holy, but also the content of the water it contained. Moreover, there was another anointing of oil that was specified for the priests to be anointed with. Now, when we read in the 30th chapter and we look at verse 34, it says, And Jehoah said unto Moses, Take also unto thee sweet stati and onicha and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight, and thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after at the art of apothecary tempered together pure and holy. Okay, now what we see in verses 35, 34 and 35 are the sweet spices that they were to use in order to anoint the priests. So they have a different set of spices for the anointing of the objects of the sanctuary and another type of ointment that was used to anoint the priests. So when we look at that, we see that there was two types of spices that were being used. So in both the anointing of the labor and the priests, respectively, they were sanctified and made holy. In Hebrew and Greek, the words sanctified and holy are one and the same. In the science of sanctification, there is the science of spices and the science of scent. Let us consider these two sciences separately, and then we'll look at and observe them together. Now, let us look at the science of spices, and we'll call this part of our study the science of uh, saturation, because as we discussed earlier, when these anointing took place, they smeared it on, and when you smear something, you are saturating it. 
So we want to look at this science of saturation. Now, the science of the spices for objects and vessels of the tabernacle sanctuary were different from that which was used to anoint the priest. Nevertheless, they both point to the same one in whom they represent. As for the priests, there were two anointings. There was the anointing of the living and the anointing of the dead. Let us now observe these two anointings. The first anointing we refer to as the biological anointing. The word bio means life. So when we deal with the biological anointing, we're dealing with the anointing in life. And so let us look at this biological anointing in the book of John, the gospel of John, that is. And in the gospel of John, we want to turn to the first chapter, gospel of John, chapter one. And we want to consider verse number 32. Okay. This gospel of John, first chapter. And we want to look at verse number 32. And he had reads, and John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. So here John was baptizing and he says he saw the spirit come down and it abode upon him. And when he talked about him, he was talking about the one that was being baptized, which was Yeshua, our Messiah. He was the one that being baptized. So when we look at the biological anointing, just as when we are living, there is a biological baptism. And this biological baptism that we experience is by water. And so when we go down into the water, just like Yeshua, when he was baptized, when he was living, he went down into the water. And John says when he came up out of the water, he received the Holy Spirit. So just as there is a biological baptism, there is also an anointing which goes along with this biological baptism. When Yeshua was baptized while living, he was anointed by the spirit of his heavenly father who endorsed him as his son because he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So what we are seeing here is that when you look at the labor that has the water, it is a type of the antitypical baptism of Yeshua in the Jordan River. And just like the labor was anointed with the anointing oil, we find that Yeshua, when he was baptized, he was also being anointed. Consequently, when the labor of brass was anointed with the anointment, it contained spice, spices and olive oil. Those sweet spices were pointing to the character of Yeshua. So the spices represents character. His sweet life of righteousness and holiness to his father. His life was a life of sanctification and holiness for all who would be a part of Yehoah's heavenly kingdom. So when we accept of the righteousness of Yeshua, the Messiah, and it is applied to our lives, then we, live, we, we go into a life of sanctification. 
so when we look at the spices that represent the character of Yeshua, then this is the character that makes our life sweet when we take those characters. They must, our lives must have the sanctified holiness of Yeshua and by faith in his atonement, which is imputed to us of his crucifixion on Golgotha, when we accept of his sweet character, we automatically become candidates for Yah's kingdom and subjects to Yeshua's estate of heavenly treasure as heir of all things. So what we are looking at is basically here is that when Yeshua was baptized, he received the power of the Holy Spirit, just like the labor that contained water had to be anointed. Let us now consider the baptism of death, which we refer to as the thanatological baptism. Thanatos means death. So when we look at the thanatological baptism, and that word is spelled T-H-A-N-A-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L. T-H-A-N-A-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L, the thanatological baptism. So when we look at the thanatological baptism of the dead, baptism, there is an anointing which we call the thanatological anointing. So just as the there was a biological uh, baptism and there was a biological anointing. So there's a thanological death and there's a thanological anointing. So let us go to this anointing uh, of Yeshua when he died, because when we see it in type, we want to see it in antitype. So we want to turn into the same book of John. And in the book of John, we want to look at the 19th chapter, John chapter 19. And there's a few verses we want to uh, focus in on. That's the Gospel of John, chapter 19, and we want to go to verse number 38. And verse 38 says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Yeshua, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Yeshua, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Yeshua, and there came also Nicodemus, which is the at the first came to Yeshua by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Yeshua and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is. So what we see here is simply the fact that when Yeshua died, they, they wrapped him in spices. So when we look at that, we draw the fact that the anointing spices that was used on the priests, and they gave them that sweet smell. Here we see that in death, he was being anointed with the sweet spices as well. 
And when we read in verse number, and when we read in verses 39, it says, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to him by night, and he brought a mixture of myrrh, that's one of the sweet spices, and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So that was quite a bit of spice and aloes that he brought to anoint our Messiah. And verse 40 says, Then took they the body of Yeshua and wound it in linen cloth with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Okay, so in his death he was anointed. Okay, so just as Yeshua, our Messiah, was anointed in life, he was also anointed in his death by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus with sweet spices. So again, we point out that these spice, spices characterizes the sweet character of our Messiah, Yeshua. Therefore, when, we, when he laid down his life in death, such a sweet life and character could not remain incarcerated by the grave. Even so, when we live the sweet life of Yeshua, neither will we be subject to the grave, but only temporarily will we be prisoners of the tomb. The sweet life of Yeshua in us will qualify us to inherit the kingdom of Yah and quantify us with the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of Yeshua, our Messiah. So when we get the anointing, it brings us up to the full statue of Yeshua, our Messiah. And when Elohim, the Father, looks upon us, he doesn't see us. He sees the life of Yeshua, his son, that we have accepted, and we become accepted with him. Yeshua's sweet life, Yeshua's sweet life-giving character must be mirrored in ours. And when the Father can see reflected in our life the character of his Son in our life, then we individually and collectively as believers will have the full bestower of his sweet Holy Spirit. Now that we have observed the science of sanctification, let us now consider the science of scent. We're going to look at the science of scent. Okay, let us turn, let us turn into the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, we want to look at the eighth chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter eight. And in Genesis chapter eight, we want to look at verse number 21. Okay, in Genesis chapter eight, verse number 21. Now, the Bible says here in 21 and chapter 8, And Yehoah smelled a sweet savor, and Yehoah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. Now, the first part of this is what we want to look at, because after Noah had gotten off of the ark, then he had a sacrifice, and the sacrifice that he rendered unto Yehoah was, the Bible said, it had a, it smelled a sweet savor, and Yehoah smelled the sweet savor. So what he was offering had a sweet smell to it, 
So we knew that he had an understanding of how to send the offering up. And this is why when we pray and when we send our offering up, we want to make sure that the sweet life character of Yeshua is, is, is in it. Okay, now let us turn to Exodus. Let us turn to Exodus. Now we saw how when, a, when, when uh, Noah offered up a sacrifice, how it was a sweet sacrifice. Now we want to turn into the book of uh, Exodus. And in the books of Exodus, we want to uh, turn to chapter 29. Exodus 29. And we want to look at a couple of verses. Exodus 29. And the first verse we want to look at is verse number 18. Okay. Verse number 18. So in Exodus 29, 18, notice what it says. It said, And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar, it is a burnt offering unto Yehoah. It is a sweet savior, an offering made by fire unto Yehoah. So it's saying when they made their offering, that they would also to make it a sweet savor. It must have a sweet scent. And when they sent up the burnt offering, it smelled sweet. Now in the same 29th chapter, we want to also look at verse number 25. It says, and thou shalt receive them of their hands and burn them upon the altar for a burnt offering. So in other words, he's telling them how to receive the offering from their hands and they, they were to burn this offering. And it goes on further to say in verse 25, for a sweet savor before Yehoah, it is an offering made by fire unto Yehoah. So in other words, whatever we offer an offering, it ought to be a sweet offering, a sweet-smelling offering. How do we make it a sweet-smelling offering? Well, we do that by accepting the sweet life of Yeshua. And when we accept the sweet life of His, then it's going to be a sweet-smelling uh, 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 offering. So now we are looking at what we call the science of scent. In other words, Elohim delights to smell something that is sweet. Now let us turn to the book of Le Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 2, uh, we want to look at Leviticus chapter 2, and we want to look at verses 1 through 4. Leviticus 2. And we're looking at verses 1 through 4. Okay, now notice what it says here. It says, And when any will offer a meat offering unto Jehoah, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. So when it's talking about meat offering, in this particular passage, it's not talking about flesh. In other words, when they had the flour and they made it out of bread, in other words, this flour is considered a meat. Now, all the time when the Bible uses the word meat, it's, 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 it's not always talking about flesh. Sometimes when it talks about meat, it's simply just talking about nourishment. And the nourishment at some times could be meat, and sometimes it can be other foods to eat. In this particular case, it's not talking about meat, but it's talking about flour that has been made out of bread. And once it is made out of bread, then they call it meat because it gives nourishment to the body. And verse 2 says, And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take thereof his handful of flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar 
to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto Yehoah. And the remnant of the meat offerings shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy unto the offering of Yehoah made by fire. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering baked in an oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. So we see here that even in the baked offerings and the offerings that they had, they put frankincense upon it in order for it to be able to be the type of bread that had a sweet smell. Now, let us turn all the way in, into um, back to the book of John and see what this bread that they were making, what did this bread, what was it a type of? Okay, let's find out what this bread was a type of. Okay, we want to turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and we're looking at verse 35. So read in verse 35 of the 6th chapter of John, it says, And Yeshua said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So in his first part, when he said, Yeshua identifies himself as being the bread of life. So if he's the bread of life, then the Bible says that if we eat of him, we would never hunger. In other words, when we eat that spiritual bread of Yeshua, it's going to satisfy our spirit, spiritual hunger. Okay. So in order for us to live a life of sanctification, we must have the smell of frankincense in our life. Yeshua was considered the bread of life. Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, when we look at Matt, let's turn to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Okay, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. <clears throat> and here it says, Now when Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, okay? So the first part of this verse said Yeshua was born in Bethlehem. Now it's interesting that Yeshua called himself the, breath of, the bread of life and the word Bethlehem where he was born, Beth means house and Leham means bread or something to eat. So Bethlehem means the house of bread. If he is the bread of life, he must have incense to go along with it. The bread that was to be placed on the table of showbread was sprinkled with frankincense. And if Yeshua is represented by the matzah or the unleavened bread, then what does frankincense represent? Okay. Now we want to find out what frankincense represents. Because we understand that when in days of old, when they made the bread, they had to have frankincense on it. Now, we found out that the bread represented Yeshua. He said, I am the bread. Okay, let us see if he had the frankincense on him. So we want to turn into the book of Luke. We want to turn to the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, we want to look at a couple of verses. That's chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. 
And we want to consider verses 9 and 10. Now notice what it says. It said, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of Yehoah. And the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense. Okay, now what we are observing in this verse is that Zechariah, which is John the Baptist's father, he went in and he was he went in at the hour of prayer, and that was the hour of incense. But if you notice in verse 10, he said the people were out there praying. So the hour of incense and the hour of prayer are one and the same because when the priests morning and evening, when they went into the sanctuary, they would often light the incense morning and evening. But when they light the incense on the golden altar inside the first apartment of the sanctuary called the holy place, that's where they would offer prayer. So what we have is, is that prayer and incense are synonymous. They mean one and the same thing. Well, let's go to another text found in the eighth chapter, in the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter eight. Okay. Now here in Revelation chapter eight, we see another analogy or antitypical uh, fulfillment of the antitype. So here in Revelation chapter eight, and we look at verse number four, notice what it says. It said, and the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints. So you see when that sweet smelling savor goes up as we pray, it says the prayers goes up with the incense. So that is the sweet life that is going up. So when the priests offered the sweet incense, they were offering up the sweet life of Yeshua uh, with their prayers and their petitions as they went to the Father. It says, and the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before Yahuwah out of the angels' hands. So we see that the frankincense we're talking about here had a lot to do with prayer. Now, according to these texts, the incense which was burned on the altar represents prayer. When we observe Yeshua, our Messiah, who indeed was the matzah bread, came down from heaven, he had the smell of incense, of prayer, all over himself. He was a man of prayer. The priests of old offered incense according to uh, uh, Exodus. Let's turn back to Exodus. All right, we look in Exodus. And we're going back to the 30th chapter of Exodus. And in the 30th chapters, notice what it says in verses 7 and 8. In Exodus 30, verses 7 and 8. Now here it says, And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense. And when Aaron lighted the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before Jehovah throughout your generations. So you see, morning and evening, the priest back then offered the sweet incense. Morning and evening. And so when we look at that priest, morning and evening, as a matter of fact, we are told that Aaron, the high priest, was to take uh, 
take a handful of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before Yehoah, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he died not. And we find that in Leviticus 16, verses 12 and 13, that he had to have plenty of incense. As Yeshua offered up much of the incense of prayer, so must we, if we are to experience the sanctification, which will transform our character into the likeness of Yeshua. So according to Exodus 30, verses 7 and 8, these texts, the incense was offered morning and evening by the priests. By Yeshua being our high priest, he found himself offering prayer morning and evening when he was here on earth, interceding for his disciples and us. All right, let us look at the book of Mark. Let us turn to the book of Mark. If the priest paid morning and evening and Yeshua was our high priest, let's see how he prayed. Okay, we want to turn to the book of Mark. And in, in Mark, we want to look at chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, and we want to look at verse number 35. Okay, 135 tells us this. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 says, And in the morning rising, up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. So there we see the frankincense in the morning, just like the priest. He prayed. Now let us stay in the same chapter, in the same book, that is. But this time we want to go to Mark, the sixth chapter. Mark chapter six. And in chapter six, we want to look at a couple of verses there. We're going to start with verse uh, number 46. Mark chapter 6 and verse 46. And here it reads, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Now notice this now. In verse 47 says, And when even, now that's even, was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. So it says that when evening came, okay, he was in the mountain praying. So just as the priests, they prayed morning and evening, Yeshua, our high priest, also prayed morning and evening. The father must also smell the frankincense of prayer upon each of his children who are anointed. There must be the scent of prayer in our life at all times, in all places, and under all circumstances. It is the scent our Heavenly Father loves to sniff. Won't you give him a whiff? Let our prayer life fragrance heaven with our petitions. The Father wants to give us the point where he, the Father wants us to get us to the point whereas when he smells us, it is like smelling his son. Isn't it a pleasant thing to have the fragrance of prayer and to have the aroma of Yeshua in them? So when we look at the science of sanctification, we are looking at how we are anointed 
with the Holy Spirit to take the sweet life of Yeshua within our lives to be able to have the life of Yeshua that is pleasing in the eyes of Elohim. Our loving Father, as we study the science of sanctification, help us to have that sweet smell that comes from our lives as a result of the Holy Spirit taking the sweet life of Yeshua into our lives. And as we constantly pray with the frankincense, O Heavenly Father, our prayers may be so fragrant and sweet that you will answer any requests that we have in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. And in his name we do pray. Amen and amen. Amen. So uh, is there a particular purpose for anointing the dead spiritually? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's look at it this way. When you were baptized, uh, when Yeshua was baptized, he received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the water baptism, of which I pointed out, was the biological baptism, which was the baptism in life. Mm-hmm. But the baptism in life points to the ba- baptism of death when we are put in the earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if, according to the labor, that the water baptism and the death baptism go together, this would mean that if he was baptized in the water and received the Holy Spirit, this means that when he go into the earth, he need to be also baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when we look at the the uh, baptism or the anointing equation. Mm-hmm. If the water baptism points to the earthly baptism, which is death and putting in the grave, if there was an anointing in the water baptism, there has to also be an anointing in the baptism of death when we get covered up with dirt or be put into uh, 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 what we call a coffin or, or whatever, and put into the grave, mm-hmm. there, there has to also be an anointing. Now, when Yeshua was anointed at the baptism, and we pointed out how he was also anointed in his death by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, what that was saying is that Elohim had accepted his life when he was here on earth, when he was baptized in water, because from heaven we heard the father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so when he accepted him, he was, he accepted him, he affirmed him and he approved him when he said those words. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now if he approved him uh, from heaven down on this earth in the water baptism, then the church now, now we find that the church had to anoint him on this earth to prove that they had accepted him. Okay. See, Elohim had already accepted him. So when he died, then we on earth who was part of his ecclesia or the assembly of of the believers, we had to anoint him. And by Yeshua being anointed by Nicodemus and Joseph, then he was, they were saying that we accept your sacrifice. We want that sacrifice. That's why we anointed, just like your father of, uh, uh, accepted, affirmed, and approved you. We ex- we accept, affirm, and approve you too. We want this sacrifice, and so that's the significance of it. That we we say by anointing him, 
that we accept him. And when we are anointed in death, we said we accept him. Okay. Now, uh, should we still be burning incense to Yahuwah? Oh, yeah. Uh, we, 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 we should. Uh, it, it's that sweet fragrance. I know uh, a lot of times when you go into uh, a Catholic church, uh-huh. they still burn incense. Uh-huh. And I'm saying, if we're the true people, <laughs> why not Why not burn incense? It, it, I don't think it's gone away. Uh-huh. We may not do it. And many people practice it spiritually. They say, well, we sent up our prayer. Well, that's good, you know. Uh-huh. I don't think Elohim gonna say that you didn't burn the incense, but I do know that uh, it can be uh, a, a symbolical act that can enhance our prayers. So it's something that we should burn as we are praying. Uh, we could. Uh, some people they have what they call the incense sticks and stuff. Yeah, they got, and then you got uh, what what do, what do they call these? Uh, where you put the water in there and you put the different incense in the water. What are those apparatuses that, that they call? And you plug them in. They sort of like vaporizers or something. Yes. Okay. Vaporizers. Some people, they use use those. Okay. But the atmosphere of prayer can be a beautiful experience. You know, we don't have to look at all of this is that when Yeshua died on the cross, he, he just threw all of this stuff out the window mm-hmm. and you just do it. No, it's it, it just like when you get up in the morning, you wash, you put on your deodorant and stuff like that. I mean, Elohim, he said, when you when you pray and do all of this, you you can you can do this for me. Because when you go to work and when you go to see your employer, you, you look good for him. Why yeah. not look good before you whole when you go up? True. You know? Yeah. So I, I think it can enhance it. But I'm not limited to say that if you don't do it, that uh, uh, your prayers are not going to be answered. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying he gave us this way, and as we do it, I think we can uh, enhance our, our prayer life. So does it need to be a uh, special fragrance? Because I know it speaks quite a bit on uh, frankincense and myrrh. Yeah, well, they had frankincense and myrrh, and they had casima, calamus, and I was making a distinction. There were certain uh, apothecary arts that they made a uh, uh, ornament for the articles, and there was another one that was made for the priest to anoint oneself. Mm-hmm. So, since we still have those spices, frankincense and myrrh and and uh, uh, cinnamon and all that, we can have have a mixture, you know, and and to be able to use those things in order to, you know, uh, have have this the fragrance to remind us of what what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we can use acts of fragrance. And then, you know, there are other fragrances that people use. Uh-huh. Well, this particular one is used particularly for the priests. And it's not to be used, you know, just for a secular purpose, but it's used for uh, the anointing for a spiritual purpose to connect us with Yeshua and his father. So and that's specifically which fragrances? Well, in the Bible, you can read, uh, they got like, uh, if you go to... Uh, the thirtieth chapter in uh, in Exodus, mm-hmm. it, it spells out the different fragrance. When I've gone to uh, places where they sell these things, they they have these fragrances, but some some of them uh, are named by other names. Okay. And what they do, 
they have the scientific name and then they have another name. So generally, if you want these particular spices, then they may have it under another name, but you may see in parenthesis or in italics, you may see the original name, even mm-hmm. though they use other names for them. And when you look at the 30th chapter of Leviticus and verses 34 uh, to uh, around about 36, you, you see see a number of those spices. And also in the 30th chapter and verses uh, 23, you also see those particular spices. You know, one for the anointing. Okay, well, I was saying that many of those spices are going to be found in Exodus 30, verses 23, and also verse uh, 34. Okay, that was Exodus 30, and verses 23. The 30th chapter, 23, and also 34. Okay. And those are various spices that you can use. Okay. Pretty sure you can use others, you know, but... Those are particularly for the spiritual use only. Okay. And these, you said these are uh, for the spiritual use only, mainly the ones that's mentioned mm, in yeah. Exodus 30. Yeah. You don't want to, yeah, you don't want to use them just for secular stuff. Okay. All right. So like if we got, are, if we want to burn incense while we pray, these are some of the sweet spices um, mm-hmm. that we could use to uh, burn as we pray, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and okay. yeah, and also, you know, they can also be used in places of worship too. You know, okay, they 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 can be used not only in the home but places of worship as well. Okay. Now, you you also stated that uh, Bethlehem means the bread of life. No, Bethlehem house. means Beth means house, and Leham uh-huh. means bread. You okay. have the house of bread. That's the house what it of means. bread. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you also said now uh, f- um, the frankincense was put on the bread. And right. Now, was this when it was the bread to be burned or was it consumed or was burned before you who on the fire? Okay. Now, when, when Aaron went in, he would take incense and put on the golden altar and burn it mm-hmm. with the prayers. And when they burnt that incense on the golden altar, it, it flowed up to Elohim. Okay. That was okay. his prayer. So when you got the bread, and when it was hot and they had taken it out of the oven to put on the table of showbread because they changed the showbread every Sabbath. They would bring out the old loaves and put the new loaves. And when they put the 12 new loaves on the table, they would sprinkle it with frankincense. So you not only had the bread, but you had the sweet smell of the bread. Mm-hmm. You know, so if Yeshua was the bread of life and he had the frankincense, the bread of life represented Yeshua and the frankincense represented prayer. So he had a life of prayer. Okay. It, now, isn't it a wonderful experience that bread had frankincense on it? Mm-hmm. So the very bread that we eat is telling us that we need to pray. Mm. We need to pray that Elohim give us this bread. This wow. is why Yeshua told his disciples in a prayer that he gave to them. He says, give us this day our day. So we should pray for our bread. So the frankincense that said, pray for your bread, mm-hmm. pray to get your bread and pray when you eat your bread. And after you've eaten your bread, thank Elohim and pray and say, I thank you for the meal that you have given me. I think that's a great end as we transition to our next segment. Up next is let's talk about that. So today I want to talk about a subject that I've been studying. I plan on doing more in-depth study as I go along, 
And I want to throw it out to the listening audience also. If you have been researching this study, and I would love to hear from you, because today we're going to talk about the second exodus. Not many people are talking about it. I only hear a certain few of people who are talking about the second exodus. And it's something that I've been reading, and I believe that it's going to happen. But when you read in the books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and also Ezekiel, you see that there are verses talking about the second exodus of Yah's people. So, if you have your Bibles, I want to go over a couple of verses. If you can turn with me into Isaiah chapter 11. And we are going to read from 11 to 16. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 11, starting with verse 11. And we're going to read uh, through verse 16. And it reads, And it shall come to pass in that day that Adonai shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt, and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And Yahuwah shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in seven streams and make men go over dry shod. And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria like it was to Israel in the day that they came out of the land of Egypt. So if we know anything about our creator, it seems like he does things in this. He has a standard and he constantly sticks to that standard. And from my reading of, of this passage, it reminds me of an Exodus when the Egyptians came out of, uh, how out of the, um, Egypt and he parted the sea. And it sounds like here, He's going to do the same thing again. He's going to part the sea for his chosen people, his remnant to come back. So my question is, that, is it possible that there is going to be a second exodus where Yahuwah is going to bring his chosen out? of bondage from the four corners. Cause it does say in scripture, we just read that it said he was going to bring Judah from the four corners. And so my question is, was Judah mainly the ones that went to the four corners? He spread out because 
even though I hear from the Hebrew Israelites that, you know, the Puerto Ricans are from certain tribe, the Jamaicans are from Benjamin, the uh, Afro-Brazilians are from another tribe. But if this scripture says Judah, I'm just wondering, are Jamaicans, are Puerto Ricans, uh, Afro-Brazilians, Afro-Colombians, Afro-Americans, Afro-Canadians, are we all from the tribe of Judah, possibly? You know, that's a good thought. Uh, I guess when you look at, in, in, into the scriptures, uh, some areas that we discuss are not so simplistic uh -huh. as to be able to delineate uh, exactly who is who. Uh -huh. You know, even while I'm sitting there talking, I, I, I don't know in my family tree of how many people may be amalgamated. Uh -huh. Uh, within in my particular uh, 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 seed or, or in my particular line. But I think when you look at the amalgamation of the, of the races and how Elohim's people has been scattered, one of the things uh, that we have to recognize is that in the, uh, in the Arab slave trade, a lot of times the Arabs, they had harems of young girls, I mean, very, very young. And a lot of them had come from the tribe of Judah and stuff like that. So yeah. when they had, uh, when they cohabitated with these young girls, mm -hmm. oftentimes they would have children, okay? So when the children came out, they were no doubt from a, both a Jewish as well as an Arab background. So they, they were intermingled. Now, according to your text, it is saying that he's going to gather his people, you know, Judah. Now, when you talk about Judah mm -hmm. and Israel, they combined all of the sons of Jacob, like Ephraim, Manasseh, um, and, and Levi, and all of them, they were considered to be a part of Judah or Israel. Mm -hmm. it, was under, it, it was under Rehoboam mm -hmm. that Benjamin and Judah, they were two tribes in the south, okay. which was called Judah, and then the ten tribes up north, they were taught Israel, but sometimes in scripture, when you read about Judah, you're reading about Israel wells because by the time Yeshua came on the scene, all of his people was called in, called by Judah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Judah became a name, not only for the, uh, one of the sons of Jacob, but it also became a name for the geographical area that people live. And then it became a name for all of Elohim's people. Mm -hmm. So the thing that we're looking at is that, uh, Elohim already told him, according to the Torah, that if you follow the Torah, mm -hmm. that you will be scattered. Mm. Now, Solomon started off following it, but by the end of his life, he was no longer following it. But I can imagine that he came back to the Torah after he had done what he did, but he had done a, a whole lot of other stuff that shouldn't have been done. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Elohim told him because of that, he was going to split it up. So when his son Rehoboam got on the throne, he was going to fight against his own people. But Elohim sent the prophet to tell Jeroboam, this thing is of me that I am defied in it. You're going to have two tribes, Judah, and you will have Benjamin. But the rest is going to be under, uh, I think it was Jeroboam. Mm -hmm. He would have the 10 tribes in the north. Okay, but as time went on, he was trying to get Israel and Judah, and he used prophets like Hosea and, 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 and Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah 
to tell his people, get right. And he kept on telling them, get right. And Jeremiah had to tell them, okay, since you're going to do what you want to do, then I'm going to scatter you. And he sent them into the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Mm. And then when they got out, you read in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, when they got out after 70 years, they were still practicing a lot of evil and they had to straighten them out. And when they straightened them out, then they were on the right course. Mm -hmm. But then when they got on the right course, what did they do? They started acting up again. And throughout the Bible, we see that they came to Elohim and then they acted up. He redeemed them. They acted up and he, they kept acting up and he scattered them. He said, according to the Torah that he gave Moses, he said, I'm going to scatter you upon the four corners of the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's where they are now. Yeah. And, and if you, if you got any spiritual insight today, you can see that Elohim is calling his people back now. Yeah. He's calling back for the second Exodus for when you read the last few portions of the verse that you just read, Mm-hmm. It said in, in the latter part of verse 15 of the 11th chapter of Isaiah, it says, he said, and he says, and he shall make men go over dry shod. Mm-hmm. Now, what is that saying? That's saying just like he brought Israel over and they were dry when they got on the other side. Yeah. He said, he going to bring us through this stuff and we going to just like ancient Israel, we, it's going to be dry when we come over. Mm-hmm. But what we're also looking at the fact is that he's going to gather his remnant from the four corners of the earth. And there are movements now that are coming up. They are talking about this. As a matter of fact, I have to do more studying into it myself to find out where we are and how we're going to get uh, to the area that he wants us to. Yeah. Because many feel that the Jerusalem that is over there, over there now is not the true place of Jerusalem. Yeah. It's I at agree. another place, and that is the place that we're gonna meet. Yeah. And but he's gonna be calling us by airplane. He's gonna be calling us that when we get in certain places that they don't have the modern transportation, we're gonna be riding on mules and donkeys and camels to get to the place that we're looking for. Yeah. But you but know we go ahead. Uh one thing that I know that was interesting, uh how you were saying about the remnant and uh it's a verse, and, and I thought at one time it would be all of Israel, Judah, he was bringing back. But then when I went to read in Isaiah uh, chapter 10, verse 20 and 21 and 22, and I want to read that. <clears throat> because we who are of the tribe of Israel need to understand that not all of us is going to make it. And in Isaiah, the 10th chapter verse 21, it reads the remnant shall return. Even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty Yahuwah for though thy people Israel as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. So It seems like the saying here that not all of us is going to make it as the remnant uh, when he brings his chosen into the second uh, out in the second exodus, that not all of us are going to go. Well, that's true. And uh, see, when you talk about the remnant, uh, then what you're talking about is just just a portion of it. Now, in addition Mm -hmm. to the verse that you just read, but notice what it also says in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. In Revelation 12, uh, 17, it says, it said, and the dragon was wroth with the woman 
Okay. Now mm-hmm. the woman is the assembly of Elohim's people. And the Dagon, he was wroth with them. And he says he went to make war with the remnant of the seed. Mm. Okay. Mm. So it's, you know, the remnant is right there. He's, the whole ain't going to be saved. It's mm-hmm. just a remnant which keep the commandments of Yahuwah and have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. So mm. we see it's going to only be a remnant. Wow. And when you look through, when you look through history, uh, his people at one time was as the sand of the sea and as the yeah. stars of heaven, but they would not obey. Mm. If they had obeyed from, from the time that Solomon was on the throne mm-hmm. up until now, Jerusalem would still be ruling the world if they had obeyed, but they didn't. Yeah, Elohim had to scatter them. So now he's saying, once I scatter them, it's a sorry picture, but only a remnant is going to be saved. And, you know, I, I think the remnant is going to be those who he has searched their hearts. Because I know it says, I can't remember the scripture right off, that he's going to take those who basically going to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what our ancestors did. I'm sorry for what we have done and sinned against you. And he's going to take their heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. And I think mm-hmm. those are going to be his remnant because I think his remnant is going to be the ones he's going to teach and even more so take the word to the rest of the nations before the final ending of Yahuwah's uh, second coming. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. you're right. I was going to say what you're talking about is found in the book of uh, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. uh, chapter 31, and I believe verse 31, where it says, Behold, the days come, saith Yahuwah, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel mm. and with the house of Judah. Mm-hmm. That's the new covenant. What you're saying is correct. Mm. He's going to make that covenant with them. And as a result, they're the ones going to continue to teach this thing. Mm-hmm. And once the Holy Spirit falls, and you don't have to go to anybody. He says, he, he says here is that uh, in the covenant that he's going to make in the last days, mm-hmm. he brings out the facts uh, in verse 34 of Jeremiah 31, 34 says, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor. So you don't have to worry about teaching your neighbor anymore. Mm. He's saying, and every man his brother saying, no, uh, Yehoah, for they shall all know me. He said, they say all know me. Wow. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith Yehoah, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Wow. And this is the remnant of Israel. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's going to get a remnant. And in Revelation says he's going to get that remnant. You see? Mm. And, you, and, you know, uh, it makes sense when, you know, with the Revelation saying that Satan was wroth with the remnant, because I can't remember wh- which text it was, but uh, Revelation. It, it, it talks about how I think Gog and Magog would try to go and attack the city without uh walls i believe it is mm-hmm. and they will not be successful in everything so you know it it, it kind of makes sense to ties into that that satan is going to try to wage war on his people but he will not be successful in trying to destroy them you know yeah, well, just like he fought in the first exodus when they came out he fought for elohim fought for his people mm-hmm and in the yeah. second X, it's going to repeat the same equation. He's going to fight for his people. But, you know, in going on that, it's interesting, too, because I found this in Isaiah 4, 5. 
and we and you know when he when he fought for his people, one of the things of showed Yah's presence was in Exodus was the cloud. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was a uh, it was a kind of a darkened cloud by night. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, a lit cloud by night and a darkened cloud by day that kind of gave them cover. And mm-hmm. it states in Isaiah four five, and Yahuwah will create upon every dwelling place Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud of smoke by day and a shining of flame of fire by night and upon all glory shall be a defense. Mm. Again, this happened in Exodus when he took it. He had the cloud of fire, pillars of fire as a cloud by night and a pillar of cloud uh, by day. Mm. You know, and I found that very interesting. And I get, you know, it's, I guess that's his defense mechanism to cover his people. Mm-hmm. Again, and it's like he's a consistent Elohim. And all he he's unchanging. The same things he did back then is like he's going to do the same things again now. Yeah, he's going to repeat it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us, especially ones who consider us Hebrews, looking for the second Exodus. But how is he? We have to ask ourselves: How is our hearts? To hopefully be a part of the remnant people, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of us, uh, you know, like you said, it's out, we are like the sands of the sea. Because when you look at it uh, in, in ancient, well, not ancient times, but years prior, when we look at the African continent, it was at one time the country that kind of encompassed Nigeria, Ghana, I think Cote d'Ivoire, uh, many of the slave coast countries. Mm-hmm. were labeled at one time on a map the kingdom of judah as to mm-hmm. say that they may have migrated which i do believe they migrated to that area and we know that in deuteronomy 28 it talks about the slave trade which as far as i my studies in history the transatlantic slave trade was the biggest slave trade ever in world history Mm-hmm. that transported black slaves all over it. So it kind of fits the narrative of Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, and, and, and then another telltale sign, you have seen an awakening of many of our people of color that's melanated of saying, yeah, I believe we're the true people, mm-hmm. you know, because to me, now, I'm not trying to knock the current people who are in the so-called land of Israel, but what need is there for a second exodus if you're already there? Right. That's a good point. You know, I mean, what need? Because, I mean, okay, well, if you try and say, well, coming from Germany to the land, well, okay, that's fine and good, but was there any parting of the water like the scripture says? Mm. During that period in time, I think yeah. something like that would have made national world news. And because I think they located there in around the 50s, I believe. Yeah. And I think they uh, well, they said they de- they supposed to have declared uh, Israel state in 1948. Mm. So and I never heard them. I never heard them speak about the second exodus in 1948. They no. just said it was uh, uh, a state. Yeah. And I know uh, uh, Ben Gurion when he was uh, setting setting up the Zionist movement, and if you said the Zionist movement, 
it was actually not a spiritual movement. It was mm -hmm. a it was a really a, a, a military movement. That's basically what it was. It wasn't something to vindicate the kingdom of Elohim. It was an earthly uh, type of kingdom that they were setting up. Mm -hmm. So Ben Gurion and the rest of them mm -hmm. who was following him and uh, Hearst and all of those, they were not uh, talking about no second exodus. Mm -hmm. At least to my understanding, they were not. Yeah. Now, now in the text that you had read earlier, it says in the 11th chapter of uh, Isaiah in verse 11, mm -hmm. you said, and it shall come to pass in that day that your whore shall set up his, shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left. Mm. In other words, he's going to recover cover the remnant. All right? So yeah. if he's going to recover the remnant, he's going to set his leaders in place for his kingdom, not like uh, they did in, in the state uh, of Israel, so-called, mm -hmm. in 1948. Yeah. I, I do not see that in the scriptures. Yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, and, and, and I can't just, you know, go without saying even amongst our own, because there has been quite a few black African-Americans who have decided to go into the land in some ways, I guess, to kind of get a jump on things. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, none of us know where the desolate land is really is at. Only y'all knows that. So, well, you true. know, I, I think, we're too eager. We kind of, we kind of wanting to God move on our terms, but mm -hmm. Yah is going to move when he's ready. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. And this is why I said, you got to have that frankincense. You have to have the mm -hmm. prayer. And it's, it's interesting. when Paul talks about putting your whole armor on, mm -hmm. talk about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, mm -hmm. the sword of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And after he tells you to put all of the armor on, it, it was so interesting when I read it in Ephesians, I think it was the uh, uh, sixth chapter when he talked about all the armor. Mm -hmm. After you put all, all the armor, then Paul says, pray. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now what is he saying? Pray. He said, you are well equipped for the battle, but you got to pray because in praying, you listen to the marching orders of when to do certain things. You can't mm. force this thing. You got to let Elohim do it his way, not our way. Yeah. And when we can listen to his voice in prayer and move forward, he's going to give us the time and the date and what to do in order to deal with the second exodus. Wow. I think that's a great way to uh, close out this segment. And Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out on this holy Shabbat? Our loving Father, we thank you for another Shabbat. And we pray that if we have sinned in any way, that as we come to you in the sacrifice of Yeshua, the Messiah, that his life may be given to us and our old life may be given to him. And as he has died for our old life to give us a new life, that we may be new creatures in Yeshua, the Messiah. And as we go from day to day and from month to month and from year to year, that we may be able to develop the character and one of the things, oh, Heavenly Father, that we want to do is to be able to continue to study the scrolls. But we realize that the second exodus is on the way and that we, as your people, must be attuned with heaven. And the best way we can be attuned with heaven is to be able to pray and keep connection with you. And when you say go, we will go. When you say stand still, we will stand still. And when you say run, we will run. All because we know that you are given the marching orders. 
And when you give those marching orders, oh, Heavenly Father, that we may have the faith to be able to follow. And as we follow, oh, Heavenly Father, we may know that the path that we are leading, that we are going down, leads to the kingdom of Elohim. Now, bless that people. Bless all those who listen. May they have prosperity, oh, Heavenly Father, in their daily lives, that as they do the things that you would have them to do, that they may be spiritually rich. And being spiritually rich, you said, seek first the kingdom of Elohim and all of the other things like clothes, food, cars, and houses that we need. You will supply that. So help us to seek first the kingdom of Elohim that you may supply all of the other blessings that we need. And when you have done for us that which we've asked, we'll give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings. Continue to bless the host and his family. Bless me and my family and bless the audience and their family. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. I'm Boyce Washington. And on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. And we are the Science of the Covenant. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. May Yahuwah bless you and keep you. Until next week, Shalom.